Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? You guys are half awake. All right, let's, let's get excited. Um, we're going to be continuing on in our essential series uh, this morning, and we're going to be going through kind of these essential aspects to godly relationships. And last night, we had an incredible response um, to the message and just what God did last night. It was awesome. And, I, and I'll tell you, today's kind of essential element to godly relationships is probably one that we would all go like, oh yeah, of course, that's exactly what you need for a godly relationship, but the reality is, is I think this is probably one of the things that we struggle with the most. We, we really deal with this idea of, of, of trusting people and, and how hard that can actually be. I don't know about you, but I think all of us probably have some aspect of trust issues, that we've been hurt in the past or something has happened to us where we feel like, hey, we can't actually trust anyone. And I'm just going to encourage you with this idea that you're not going to get very far in your relationship with God or others if you don't have trust as an essential part of your relationships. And so as I was thinking about this message, uh, a movie came up in my mind. And honestly, it's not a movie that I expected to come up in my mind in relation to this series. It was Terminator 2, right? And if you have like watched any of the Terminator things or anything like that, there's this aspect of um, this movie. Like if you don't know the story, Arnold Schwarzenegger comes as a Terminator, which kind of means what it means. Like he's going to terminate you, right? And he comes from the future to kill this lady named Sarah Connor uh, in this future war. They don't want to deal with it. So Terminator 2 They send this new guy to come and take care of Sarah Connor, but Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back, and he is going to be this guy who's protecting Sarah Connor. And there's this scene where Sarah Connor, she's in this mental institution, and she's trying to escape, right? She's trying to get out of this place, and she's running down this hall, and she hits the elevator, and she's going to get out of this area, And right as she does that, the door opens and Arnold Schwarzenegger comes out, who was the Terminator who was going to kill her, and she freaks out. She starts to run and get away. And as the scene goes on, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he actually saves her. And he says this incredible line in the, in the movie, which is probably one of the most famous ones, not I'll be back. That's, that's a different one. But he says this thing to Sarah Connor. He says, if you want to leave, come with me. Right? Like, and so he, he does his Schwarzenegger voice. He's like, who's your father and what does he do? Right? But Schwarzenegger says this and she like immediately looks up and goes, And her son's there, and he says, like, no, he's here to help us. We got to go. And so this morning, the title of today's message is, come with me if you want to live, right? Like, if you want to live, if you want to have life, if you want to have essential, good, godly relationships, you got to come with us this morning. I think God is inviting us into a new season in a new place this morning. And so I don't know about you, but as we get ready to jump into the message, I want us to ask the question of what areas in your life are we dealing with trust issues? Are you you having a hard time trusting yourself or are you having a hard time trusting others? 
Like, where in your life are you? Let me ask you this. Are you having a hard time trusting God right now? Is your relationship with God kind of on the ropes? Are you walking this tightrope kind of life right now? And honestly, I, I think if we don't go with God in this moment and in this time, we're going to have a hard time living. And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew this morning. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 17. But as we go there, I want to give you some context, right? Because it's a little bit dangerous just to jump into the middle of the Bible and that you're going to expect to know and understand what it's saying. See, the reality is, is like if you found a note in my car and it said, I love you, and you assume like that note was for Kelsey, my wife, you're like, oh, that's so sweet. That's awesome. That, that's beautiful. But what if I wrote that note to Chick-fil-A, right? And I'm saying to them, like, I love you. You know, you changed my life, right? Different context has different meaning, correct? <laughs> Did you say amen? <laughs> He's like, amen. It changed my life too, brother, right? Uh, and so what you have to understand is context is really king. In order for us to really understand what's happening in the Bible, we have to understand that this book was written to a specific people at a specific time for a specific reason. Our job now is to understand what was being said then and kind of bridge the gap to today. So we can understand, okay, what are the principles that God is teaching in his word that we can apply and put into our life? What God was saying to them, that same truth and principle is applicable to us. Now the methodology may be different. I had a boss um, that I worked for for years, and he had this one saying uh, that I always will remember. He said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods may change, principles never do. And so that's what we look for in the Bible. We're lo- some methodology still applies to today, absolutely, but we're also looking for the heart and the truth of the matter. Is everyone freezing? Hey, Code, can you turn up the AC for us? Thanks. Um, and so this room's hard to get the AC right. And so what's happening in the book of Matthew, Matthew is this guy, and he was a tax collector. If you know anything about that, tax collectors were kind of the most despised people of the time. Maybe even today, they still are, right? Like when the IRS comes knocking, you're not really happy about that. But tax collectors were actually viewed as people who were traitors against their own people. That they were profiting off of the the Roman Empire and taxing their people. And what tax collectors would do is they would collect tax for Rome, but they were allowed to then add on top of that for their own personal gain. They were despised people in the kingdom. In fact, multiple times the Pharisees say, look, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Like they even have their own category in this world at the time. And I just want to encourage you with that. Some of us are having a hard time trusting God right now because of what's happened in our lives. Like where we were and what we did and all of these things. But if God could choose Matthew, a tax collector, to write one of the books in the Bible about Jesus, then he can certainly use you. Like do you trust that fact even there? Like if he used Matthew, he can use me. Right, Because we, we move on so quickly when we think that all the people that wrote this book were perfect holy saints. They weren't. They were made saints by Jesus Christ who were imperfect and unholy. This book is a book full of mess-ups. In fact, I heard a quote this week, um, and I loved it. It was Rich Wilkerson, and he was talking to somebody, and he was inviting people to church. I don't know about you, but I try to invite people all the time to church because, honestly, 
our church is changing my life. And so I'm inviting all the time, and he was inviting someone, and a person said, like, I love God, but I don't like the church. The church is full of hypocrites. And Rich Wilkerson said, well, there's always room for one more. And what you realize is, is the church is full of hypocrites. The church is honestly full of people who are imperfect, trying to follow a perfect God and messing up along the way, and the grace of God meets them. Thank God he chose Matthew to write the book, this book of the Bible because there's even a message in that. Who he chose to do things says something about who God is and what God can do in your life. Do you trust that? And so Matthew is writing here, but some things have happened in the book just before this. Jesus has been doing ministry. He's been confessing all of these things. He's been showing people by all these miracles. And in Matthew chapter 16, this incredible thing happens. Peter, for the very first time in the book of Matthew, indicates that Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah means Savior. This is who the Jewish people have been looking for for their entire life. They've been looking for this Savior. And the text indicates that, hey, Matthew, or Peter first realizes and says for the very first time, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you for the Father has revealed this to you. He says it at this area called Caesarea Philippi. If you come with us to Israel, I'll take you to that spot. Exactly this spot. We know without a shadow of a doubt that this is where this happened. And we'll read Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. We'll read that right there. We'll, we'll read that text. And so we only have a few spots left. So if you haven't come with us, you need to, to join quickly. But in this moment, Jesus talks about the fact that he's, he, he is the Messiah. And as soon as he talks about being Messiah, he starts to talk about the fact that he's going to die. And you think, that's weird. Why would Jesus go from, hey, I'm the Savior, but I'm going to die? How many of us miss what God is doing so much in our life because he's doing it in a way that we wouldn't expect it? See, the Jewish people were expecting this Messiah King to come into the world as a warrior to kill the enemies of the Jewish people. Jesus was a warrior king, but he was coming to kill a far greater enemy that we have. We See, the Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's really a spiritual battle. And the biggest enemy that you and I have, it's called sin. And sin equals death. And so Jesus was going to go win the war for you and I and reign as king in our lives, but he was fighting a battle much differently than we may have expected. How many of us have begun to lose trust in God because he's doing it differently than we expected? And so Jesus tells about this, then he tells about his resurrection and, and that he's going to die, but then he also tells the disciples, hey, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. I mean, doesn't it take trust in who Jesus is for you to be willing to take up a cross to follow after a Savior? I mean, absolutely, you have to understand that. But then we get right here into our text. So Jesus has now been admittedly called the Messiah by Peter. He tells about his death and resurrection. And then he says, hey, if you want to be with me, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. And then this incredible story happens here in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. Look at what the Bible says. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. That means he was changed before their eyes, before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. 
And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Let's stop right there because that's a significant thing that, that the text says there. That, that means a lot. For you and I, we're like, oh, those guys are just old dudes from the Old Testament. But what was being signified in that was Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets. That's the entire Old Testament. These two people become representatives for what God was doing, right? The law came down through Moses. And then also through Elijah, prophecy is seen to be that. He's probably the most famous prophet that the nation had ever received. And so what they would be understanding, all of these guys were Jewish, is the law and the prophets are talking with Jesus, and he's the fulfillment of all of this. I mean, imagine how crystal clear you would see that. Not only did they see Jesus for who he truly was, he shone like the sun, but they saw him talking with Elijah and Moses. And Peter said to Jesus, Peter is always the guy who wants to score brownie points with Jesus, right? Like anytime something bad's going to happen, Peter's the first one to be like, hey, I got you, bro. I'm going to say, like, I'm with you till the end. Jesus says at the Last Supper, I'm going to die. And Peter goes, I'll die with you. And Jesus is like, bro, you're going to deny me three times before the night's even over. Peter here, again, hey, man, you want me to build some booths? This is awesome. Thanks for letting me be here, Jesus. Jesus is probably like, oh, Peter, chill out, bro. Just relax, right? And so Peter responds. He says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Here's what I think is really interesting about that. Here's why I think we'll know everybody in heaven. Because Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah, who, people whom they have never met. And they immediately, it's not like Moses showed up with a name tag, like, hi, my name's Moses, right? Or Elijah's like, hi, my name's Elijah. Nice to see you, right? Like, they immediately knew and understood who they were. But God interrupts the story. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is almost a direct quote from the baptism of Jesus. There's a cloud, a dove ascend, descends from the cloud. They hear a voice. But this also goes back to when Moses got the law. Like they would understand all of this because Moses got the law at Sinai, right? Up on the mountain and he sees God in a cloud. Even in this moment, we see this. All of this is connecting them back to what had happened. So this voice comes out and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Let me ask you something. Do you find it weird that when they see Jesus shining like the sun, they do not fall down terrified, but when they hear the voice of God, they do? Is Jesus fully God? How many of us are treating Jesus as if he's not? How many of us are not falling on our faces? And terrified there is not just scared. It's like this holy awesomeness. I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of something so big and so incredible that you're kind of speechless, like you're scared and excited at the same time that you just can't move. There's these waves in California that I've had the opportunity to see called the Mavericks. Have you guys ever heard of Mavericks? They're these giant waves out in California, sometimes 20 to 30 feet high. 
um, and these big wave surfers go out there, they have to be towed in on jet skis. That's an awesome experience. You're terrified and in awe of how awesome it is at the same exact time. And so the disciples, in response to this, fall on their face. They're freaked out. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And they, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, just as Moses came down the mountain, giving them the commandments, Jesus says something. Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. That's really important. Because not only did Jesus in the chapter before this, right before this moment, say, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again, he reminds the disciples again here one more time, do not tell anybody about what just happened because, or until I rise again from the dead. Have you ever been in a place where someone says something to you that's vitally important, but because you're so in shock about what happened, everything flies over your head? I think that's the moment that the disciples just had, right? How many times have you heard things in church, but you're so enamored by something in your life or just enamored by the experience that you're having in church that morning that things just go over your head? Like you hear it, but you don't hear it. I think that's what happens to the disciples here because they hear it, but I don't know if they hear it. And the disciples asked him, verse 10, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? And Jesus answered them, Elijah does come and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that uh, that what he was speaking to them was John the Baptist. He says, Elijah's already come. He's already announced the way for the Messiah. He came. His name was John the Baptist. You guys just didn't recognize him. How many of us see God but don't recognize him and what he's doing? We, we miss God completely and we miss God and what he's doing because we, we, we just don't recognize what God's doing. How many of us have had God do something in our life and we totally miss out on what he's doing? We totally miss out on what God is doing. And so I want you to understand this. Part of faith is remembering what happened on the mountain. So, don't forget what you knew on the mountain. See, trust is believing in what you know to be true. That's what trust is. Trust is believing in what you know to be true. What you know is actually going to happen. Because let me tell you, when you get off the mountain and get into the valley, dysfunction and, and hard times are going to try to steal the truth away from you. You have to remember what happened on the mountain. How many of us struggle with or have a hard time with what happened on the mountain to you? Like, what is that? Where's that mountaintop experience for you in your life? That you have this moment where God spoke so clearly to you because what you realize in this this time is there's some things that the disciples began to know that no one could take away, but they forget about it later in life. So what did the disciples actually know? Well, they knew who Jesus was. They knew him. They saw Jesus as he actually is. He's shining like the sun. Have you had a moment like that in your life where you saw Jesus so clearly? You saw him in HD. You saw God moving in your life so clearly. 
You knew without a shadow of a doubt that God existed. You experienced him. They knew who Jesus was. They now know the plan, right? Elijah and Moses are two people who are, have believed to have been ascended into heaven. Moses dies in the book of Exodus, but there's this book called the Book of Assumptions that in tradition, it's believed that Moses was caught up to heaven as well. This isn't a rare thing. There's about five people in the Bible that are caught up to heaven. Listen, when Jesus shows up with Elijah and Moses, not only does that say the law and the prophets fulfills the plan, but also I'm going back home in the same way. They knew the plan. They knew what was going to happen. Remember what Jesus said. Don't talk about this until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. I mean, can you get much clearer than that? Like, hey, what he's saying is this. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. I mean, you know the plan. But how many of us believe in here if God just told us the plan, we would have no trust issues? You're like, look, I would trust you, Lord, if I just knew the plan. Well, there's this book at the back of this, the New Testament called Revelation. You and I know the plan. We know the plan. We know the end of the story. We know what's going to happen. And you say, well, I don't know the specifics of it. Well, neither did they, but they knew the plan. That's what prophecy is. It's kind of like you know what's going to happen. You just don't quite understand how it's all going to happen but they knew it. How many of us are living as if there's not going to be a new heaven and new earth? How many of us are living and not trusting in the future that God's told us about? How many of us are having anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, shame, and fear right now in our lives because we're not trusting in the end of the plan? Because what the enemy meant to kill me, God meant to prosper me, right? This is the story of Joseph. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Because you understand the plan of God. That doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. It just means you understand and can get through the plan because you know good's coming. You just don't know when. So they know the plan. They know Jesus. They now know what God has said. Right? They know with crystal clarity what God has said. God spoke from a cloud and said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. That means every part of my affection is upon Jesus. And then what does he say to him? Listen to him. Just listen to him. That's all I'm asking you to do. Listen to what he has to say. This is my son. He's come here for a purpose, to teach you some things. Listen to him. He's spoken with clarity. How many of us just say, man, I wish God would just talk to me audibly. Like, God, would you just like show up on my cell phone in a text message, please, so I just knew? How many of us, what God's telling you to do is listen to my son. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he did. Listen to what, I'll get, I'll get you to the plan. Don't worry, but you just need to listen to him. Because what you realize is, is God doesn't want you to get to the right place in the wrong way. Just listen. I'm going to get you to heaven. I just don't, I want you to get there in the right way. See, some of us are losing trust in God and in our relationships in general because we want to take the fastest route possible in the easiest way possible. But what you have to realize is, is God's not going to zigzag your life. He's getting you where you need to go, but you're going to have to go over some tough terrain. You're going to have to do that. Do you trust him? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The imagery in that passage is that Jesus isn't walking before you. He's walking beside you, and he's holding you, and he's guiding you. Are you trusting? See, the worst thing that you could do in the valley of the shadow of death is run from the path that God's guiding you on. Yeah, you may get to where you need to go, but you're probably going to hit some bushes and rocks and maybe get bit by a snake along the way. Anyone in here testify, I lost trust in God, so I ran. And when I ran, it was the worst decision I could have ever made. So they know the plan. They know what God said. They know who Jesus is, and now they know what's happening. They understand what Elijah and and Moses are doing and that Jesus is going to die and that he's going to suffer at the hands of the people that are following him. Let me tell you something. What has God said to you on the mountain? In order to trust, you have to remember what happened up there. So the story goes immediately into this this passage, but I, I want you to understand there's two really different responses to what happens on the mountain. Jesus completely understood what was going to happen to him on the mountain. He completely understood. The disciples completely miss it. They heard and saw the same message, but they respond very differently. See, trust is believing in the truth, but you actually have to put that into practice. Some of us know the truth, but we don't trust it. Like, for some of us right now, God's saying, wait. And you're like, no, I can't. God's saying, hold on. God's saying, I'm building something incredible for you. God is saying for you to let go of something. God is telling you to forgive somebody. God is telling you to do all of these things, and you're saying, I can't. I don't trust the plan right now. Let me ask you, how is that going? So Jesus knew and trust the Father, and how do we know that? How do we know that? Because we get a glimpse into the garden. Right before the death of Jesus, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. If you come to Israel, I'll take you there. It's probably one of the most incredible places I've ever been in my life. It's right at the foot of the Mount of Olives. There's literally olive trees there that were in the garden when he was there. Over 3,000-year-old olive trees. And maybe we'll look at one, and that's the tree Jesus prayed under. I mean, think about that. And so we see Jesus' ability to trust and remember what was said on the mountain. Right, Because Jesus prays to God, if this cup, if this moment could pass from me, please allow it. That's what a lot of our prayer is. If this could go from me, please allow it. But Jesus has a qualifying clause on his. But not my will be done but yours. That is trust. That is saying like, hey, if this could be removed from me, please allow it. But don't allow me to get in the way. I'm going to trust your plan so your will be done over mine. A lot of us have the prayer of, if this could pass me, great. But if you take me down this road where you've already told me I'm going, I'm going to freak out and I'm going to stop trusting you. How many of us need to respond like Jesus responded? Because Jesus is responded on the mountain and he says, look, I know what's going to happen. I remember this. James and Peter and John are there in the garden. They forget what God said on the mountain. They forget. And so we have to always remember what happened on the mountain. But let me just tell you something. Don't let time steal your trust. See, some of us, the reason we're having such a hard time with trust right now is because time is passing. Anyone ever had something happen in their life where you just started to distrust somebody or something because too much time was passing? 
We had a buddy in college that uh, had a girlfriend back home. And we thought, oh, he has a girlfriend, right? Like, because he'd be like, oh, my girlfriend's going to come visit this weekend. We'd be like, oh, okay, great. We're looking forward to meeting her. She wouldn't show up, right? Or something happened all the time. And eventually, because so much time had taken place, he'd be like, yeah, she's going to come this weekend. We're like, do you really have a girlfriend? Like, is this all like photoshopped and not real? Because we're starting to doubt you. Because time had passed. How many of us, you're starting to doubt God because he's taking more time than you thought? Just in your life right now, there's some promise or some truth that you heard on the mountain, but you're disbelieving God because time is taking longer than you thought. That's exactly what happens here in the passage. Look at what it says, verses 14 to 16. And when they came down to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and suffers terribly. Often, for often he falls into the fire. That means he has a seizure and he falls into burning fire and often into water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Look at what happens. Jesus sends the 72 out and says, go cast out demons, do all of these things in my name. I give you all power and authority. But as soon as they got away from Jesus and time had taken place, they began to doubt that they had the authority to do it. They began to distrust what Jesus had told them because time had begun to pass. How many of us, this is our life, that you're struggling to even come to church or listen online or open your Bible. The only time you hear the word of God is on Saturday or Sunday when you show up here because that's the only time you have time for this. And we wonder why some of us are having a hard time trusting God in this season, or it seems like God is even absent or not there, but you spend no time with him in his word or in prayer or in, or in community with others. Because time will start to steal your trust. Just because things aren't moving as fast as you think they should doesn't mean that they aren't moving. Has anyone ever been to Siesta Key or one of the beaches and you drift down the beach. Now you don't realize it, right? You're sitting there and you're moving, but you're not thinking that you're moving. Some of you are in the sea of God and he's drifting you exactly where you need to be right now. It's just a little bit slower than you thought. But if you actually looked up at the horizon and saw where you were, you'd realize that you've moved quite a way. Man, isn't it gracious of God that he doesn't just pick you up and throw you where you need to be, that he graciously moves you where you need to be because that's an act of grace because some of us couldn't handle the change from where we are to where we need to be that quick. It would kill you. Maybe some of us need to trust God that the way he's doing it in your life right now and moving you right now is the greatest gift and grace that he ever could have given you. But look what happens. So as soon as that happens, as soon as time is, is, is in effect, the story moves on quickly, Matthew chapter 17, verse 17. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation. O, o faithless, that means you have no trust. And twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. I want you to understand something. For so many of us, disappointment equals distrust. When you're disappointed in your life by someone or something, you begin to stop trusting others. How many of you, because we didn't see God's whole plan, because we forgot what God said on the mountain to us, have begun to distrust God's plan for our lives? 
because of time and because you've got spiritual amnesia because there's a, a thing that happens when you go through distraction or disappointment or you go through anything that kind of works against you, distrust enters the situation. How many of us are having a hard time believing and trusting our spouse because of disappointment? How many of us are having a hard time believing our parents because of disappointment? How many of us are struggling with our kids right now because of disappointment? How many of you are struggling with yourself because of disappointment? Uh, you, you won't even get back in the game of life right now because you messed up at some point in your life and now you have distrust even in yourself. Some of us can't go into healthy relationships. I mean, how many of us are having dysfunction in our relationships right now because distrust has happened because of disappointment? I want you to notice something that's so incredible about this. Disappointment equals distrust for you and I. Disappointment does not equal distrust for God. Because what happens? The disciples definitely dropped the ball here. They disappointed Jesus. And let me just tell you something. Just because God's disappointed with you doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Yes, we're going to say it. Some churches won't say this. Some of you, the things that you're doing in your life are disappointing to God. You're like, what? Yep, that's true. There's some things in your life that God is disappointed with in you, but that doesn't change how he loves you. Because we're not on a merit-based system with God. It's grace-based system, right? So you can disappoint God and his love and affection is still there. He doesn't leave you. He doesn't draw away from you. You draw away from him. You know why repentance is such an important thing? It's because what repentance is is a 180 turn in the opposite direction. You know that you don't have to walk far to get back to God because he's right there with you. As soon as you turn, he's there. Is he disappointed? Absolutely. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to hear that the things you're participating in your mind and in your heart and in your life right now, God is disappointed in you. And you need to let that set with you because sometimes disappointment will cause you to turn around. How many of you, this wasn't true for me as a kid, but how many of you, the worst words you could hear from your parents was, I'm disappointed. You were like, oh. Oh, like a dagger. Me, I was like, good, be disappointed and better get used to it because I'm going to keep disappointing you, right? Because I didn't like that feeling at all. But the reality is this. So many of us are allowing disappointment to cause distrust and it's killing all of our relationships. Can I just tell you something? Some of us, me included, are making other people in our lives pay for the sins of other people in the past. You're holding the ledger of what someone else did against everybody else in the world. And because that ledger hasn't been paid in your heart or in your mind, you stiff arm everybody else in your life. You distrust everybody. Because when you distrust something, you keep it away, right? Like, have you ever been around a dog that you don't quite trust? You don't go near that dog, you keep it away. How many of us, because of distrust and disappointment in our life, all of our relationships are being affected? Your kids are paying the price. Your spouse is paying the price. Your boyfriend or girlfriend's paying the price. Your friends are paying the price. Your coworkers are paying the price because of what other people did. Here's the incredible, <clears throat> incredible thing that we've talked about in this series. Jesus has forgiven that, and he'll take care of it. 
See, the reason you're still holding that ledger up is because you think it still needs to be satisfied and things need to be made right in your eyes. When Jesus says, I'm the God of justice, I'll take care of that. You can let it go. I'll handle the justice. You live in the freedom. Like, I'll take care of it. I'll make sure that that bill is paid. I'll make sure everything happens okay and it will be made right either through my death or through something else. I will take care of this. You can go live in freedom. I'll worry about the debt. But some of us in this place are dealing with this, and this disappointment in our life is causing this. And look what happens here. Jesus says, you faithless and twisted generation. What he means is, you unbelievers, you people who don't trust in what I've told you and what I've said to you. Like, do you trust right now that God has forgiven you? Do you trust that God's going to take care of it? Do you trust in the new heaven and in the new earth? Do you trust that he makes all things new? Do you trust and believe that you're a new creation in Christ? Do you trust it? Stop making God pay for the disappointments you experienced in false idols. See, some of us built God up in this. We built a false God. We built an idol, and that idol disappointed us. So we stand arm length away from who God really is because of the disappointment of things that don't actually exist. Disappointment will equal distrust, but thanks be to God that it doesn't do that for him. Because was Matthew disappointing? Absolutely at times. Did he write the book? Absolutely. See, the church is given this mission to go and reach the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we disappoint and do it wrong? Anyone in here ever been hurt by somebody in the church? Okay, every hand's up. Okay, great. Like, absolutely. Did God take the mission away from the church because we were disappointing? No, that's the beauty of the message that God is giving us. But let me just tell you this. Trust is going to be tried. Trust is always going to be tried. Look at what Matthew chapter 17 says, starting in verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon. So this kid's illness, and by the way, not every illness that you have is a demon, okay? But in this case, it was. Then Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because you of your what? Little faith, your lack of trust. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in the world, like the grain of a mustard seed, if you have that much faith, you could tell this mountain to move and it would. Is God in for us to like move physical mountains right now? No, God is saying, what's the mountain in your life? What's the demon in your life? The mountain for them was the demon that they were facing. Whether real or metaphorical, what's the demon that you're facing in your life right now? Is it anger, hatred, fear, guilt, shame, a lack of trust, a lack of all these things? And what Jesus says is when you really trust in me, you can tell that thing to go and it will. That's the, that's the whole example of what he's doing. But trust is this tool that saves us, that rescues us, because we talked about this. God is going to get you to the right place. And let me tell you, the fastest way to where you need to be is a straight line, always. Always, it's a straight line. But how many of you have tried to walk over a mountain in a straight line? 
It's the shortest distance. Let's go. Let's get there. But how many of you know that when you go on that path, you're going to have to climb over rocks and get over bushes, and you're probably going to encounter a few snakes and mountain lions along the road? But it's going to get you exactly where you need to be. Some of us distrust the plan because we hit a few obstacles in the way. Your, tr- your trust is going to be tried. Absolutely. See, it's easy to trust God when you're on the mountaintop. When you see Elijah and Moses and Jesus shining like the sun, it's easy to go, man, he's awesome and he's so good. But as soon as you get to the valley and face some demons, all that begins to go away because you forget what you knew on the mountaintop. Trust is built in the darkest and deepest of moments. Trust is believing in what you know to be true. And you have to preach the truth to yourself in the darkest times. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 7 says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. How many of us get off the straight path of God because in our wisdom we say, we need to take a, I need to take a, we need to take a right. We need to get off this path and onto a new one. And how many of us realize if we just would have stayed on the path that God put us on, we would have gotten where we needed to go much faster. But we, in our own wisdom, go, that looks much safer. Let's go that way. Anyone in here ever thought, you know, that way looks shorter, that shortcut looks faster. I'm going to use that back road to get where I need to go because this way looks too long. And what you realize is, is it took you two hours longer because you chose the wrong path. See, what happens, we don't trust the path that God's put us on because we forget what we heard on the mountain and we begin to have an issue and so we run from what God is saying and we go our own way and then you find yourself in peril and disaster and we go like this, God, why would you allow me to get here? See, we all want free will until we don't. We all want free will until we don't. We get to where we wanted to go, where we wanted to be, and then when we get there, we go, God, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you help me? And God said, why didn't I help you? I've protected you as you were walking towards death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. When you're walking away from what God has said to you, where he's led you on safety and protection, that doesn't mean hard times aren't going to come. You're walking towards death. And the fact you didn't die on that path is the grace of God. We just sometimes forget what God looks like. Just like the disciples did. You saw Elijah already. It was John the Baptist. You just didn't recognize him. Some of you have seen God work in your life already. You just didn't recognize him because he worked in a way that's different than you expected. So here's how I want you to think about this. I was watching an episode of Bear Grylls uh, where he takes all of these celebrities out to survive like for two days. He takes like Will Ferrell, all these guys. Well, the episode that I was watching was with Nick Jonas. Okay, I don't know a lot about Nick Jonas, but I found out that Nick Jonas has type 1 diabetes. Okay, so that means he was born with diabetes, and they actually take Nick Jonas with Bear Grylls to a frigid, cold environment on the top of a mountain. Notice the mountain theme tonight. And so when he takes him up there, Nick is really freaked out because one thing that diabetes does is it causes circulation issues. And when it causes circulation issues, especially in your feet, if your feet get cold and don't have warm blood going to them, you're going to get frostbite and you're going to lose your feet. 
And so Nick goes with Bear in this story, in this episode, and he has to trust Bear Grylls completely. Like, I think there's probably times he wants to just run down the mountain or get out of the way or do all these things, but he has to trust Bear. And they get to this point where they're descending this mountain, trying to get to a warmer climate, to a warmer area, and they come to almost like a cliff. And all there is around them is snow. And then this cliff. And Bear Grylls goes, hey, we're going to rappel down the cliff. And Nick Jonas is like, uh, we're going to what? Well, I don't see any rocks or, or, or trees for us to tie into. And Bear goes, okay, here's what we're going to do. I need you to go seven feet wide and then four feet deep. I need you to dig a big trench in an arc. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. So he begins to do that. And Nick Jonas is probably like, why the heck am I doing this? But Bear goes, do it. Dig a trench, and then we're going to put the rope in the trench, and then we're going to rappel down using the snow as our anchor. And you can see Nick Jonas going like, this? What? No way. And he's like, I'm just going to dig. Some of you, while God's telling you the plan to dig, you aren't going to believe in the process. You just need to dig. And then what happens is they put the rope in, they buried the rope in the snow, and he's like, all right, we're going to rappel down this cliff, and the snow's going to be our anchor. And Nick Jonas, you can tell he's worried, and so Bear Grylls graciously goes, you know what, I'll go before you. So Bear goes down, he like gallops down this mountain, like Nick Jonas was like, I didn't know you could go down a mountain that fast, right? And he gets to the bottom, and he goes, all right, Nick, it's your turn. It's your turn to come down the mountain. And so he gears up and he begins to go. But how much trust did he have to have in Bear Grylls? How much trust did he have, that, have to have in the fact that the mountain and the snow would hold? That's exactly what trust is. Trust is the anchor that will get you exactly where you need to be when you believe in what God has said. Jesus is is Bear Grylls in that story. Like, here's where you need to go. Here's what you need to do. And we're going to use this to get you there. And you go, that's impossible. There's no way that that's going to happen. There's no way. But God goes, I'm getting you where you need to be in the fastest way possible. We're going to have to get through some obstacles. So I'm going to have to tell you to do some things opposite of what you think to be true. But I promise you, I'll get you there and you'll be safe. Though you will walk through fear, I will be with you. I will go before you. I will guide you and I will direct you. That is exactly what trust is. I don't know if that gives you a physical image in your mind, but I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't know if I would go down a mountain on a rappel using snow as my anchor. But see, Bear Grylls knew some things that Nick Jonas didn't. God knows some things that you don't, and he is going to take care of you, and he's going to get you exactly where you need to be. You only need to trust in him. And so as we end this morning, I want to tell you a few things. There's some essential elements to trust, and let me just tell you, if you don't trust God, you, you're, all of your relationships will have issues. The very first relationship that you need to heal right now is your relationship with him. Let me just ask you, do you trust him? In fact, that's what salvation is. It's trusting and believing that Jesus paid your penalty in sin, and you believe in that for salvation. And so there's these elements, and the very first thing that is needed for trust is consistency. 
Consistency. You've got to be consistent. You've got to be. Anyone ever met someone who's over here one day and the next day they're over there and you're like, I thought you said you were going to be a paramedic. And they're like, no, 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 I'm going to be a singer now. And you're like, I don't follow me. And you're like, I'm not following you. You're inconsistent. Thank God the Bible says that God does not change for he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's consistent. You have to have clarity. Thank God he speaks so clearly. Thank God he wrote a book that you can go back to all of the time. Trust needs grace. You need to allow people to mess up and give them opportunity. That's what some of us need to do in here. You have distrust in your life because of disappointment, but you're not allowing people to try to respond in a different way. Trust needs humility. Needs us to admit when we're wrong. Because when we're able to admit when we're wrong, we know that you'll correct and you'll go in a new direction. And trust help, uh, helps others. And so let me ask you today where you are in your life with God and with others. Are you trusting and believing in God? Are you trusting and believing in all that God is doing in your life? Are you allowing disappointment to steal your trust? Are you allowing time to steal your trust? God's moving. You may not just realize it yet. And so as we pray, I want to just ask you a few questions. So with every eye closed and head bowed, I'm going to ask you a question. Where in your life right now are you struggling with trust with God? What is the one thing that God is calling you to give to him right now? What is the one thing that God is saying, give to me right now? That's the thing that you're not trusting with. Give it to me. Where is that distrust in God affecting your relationship with others? What disappointments have you experienced in your life from others, either from the past or even in the present, that are causing dysfunction in your relationships? Let me tell you, we were built to live and have godly relationships, but the fact that you live in distrust is stealing that from you. You're wondering why you don't experience all that God has for you, and the reason is because you're living in distrust. And so let me ask you, and you can respond in any way that you want to this morning. You can come down here to the front. You can pray right where you are. Do you believe and trust that God will meet you right where you are right now? What is God asking you to trust him with? What is God asking you to believe in him for right now? What promise is God reminding you about on the mountaintop right now? and you're at that moment where you got to repel down a valley, are you going to trust him? And the only anchor you have is snow. Do you believe him? He's gone before you. He knows it all. He can deal with it in this moment. Are you trusting in God? Thank you for jumping into today's message, and we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you, and please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website, 
Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.